0: both Eternia and Etheria. From deep within the confines of Castle Grayskull, it's time to join in the battle for the power of goodness with Chris Vint and the Masters of the Universe Chronicles.
1: Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of The Masters of the Universe Chronicles. Um it's been great to actually talk to so many um people and Roboto is one of the names I would rank highly up there. Um and another person has returned um GM Sawyer who is just ever knowledgeable about the Masters Universe mini comics and much more. Um James actually returns with another Chronicles Comics Corner segment um... so he's just talking... I don't want to spoil what he's talking about but um... just basically goes through the comic and his thoughts on it and that kind of stuff which is always brilliant um... and if you're a fan of his make sure you go to YouTube and subscribe to his MOT Classics um... um uh, account uh, where he does some brilliant um, videos with his son Blaze um, discussing the bios and that kind of stuff which is brilliant Um, Netlix also returns and he talks about the Master of the Universe dragons in many shapes or forms whether it be Filmation and 2002 Mike Young production ones Um, so thanks to Netlix and James um, for sending us those contributions
2: Greetings fellow chroniclers, this is Netlex, uh, back to compare the filmation and MOTU shows of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. Uh, so this time around, I'm going to compare dragons. Uh, so let's start off on the filmation side of things. Uh, in this show, dragons are portrayed as intelligent creatures, albeit mistrustful of humans. Throughout the series, we learned that at one time, the two species were at war with each other. This ultimately led to a treaty that segregated humans and dragons guaranteeing any unnecessary conflicts. In the episode The Dragon Invasion, we find Skeletor with a sack of dragon eggs he'd apparently bought off Merman. Uh, It's kind of funny to think of Skeletor having to haggle with his own men. Uh, Predictably enough, Old Boneface plans to overrun King Randor with these dragons, but not after trapping the sorceress with the appropriately titled Dragon Pearl. Uh, the next episode that featured dragons was uh, the Larry de Tilio classic, The Dragon's Gift. Uh, here we're introduced to Grandemere, uh the oldest and wisest of his race, and not to mention the most arrogant. But then again, if I was as ancient and powerful as he was, I'd, I'd probably feel the same way. Uh, so anyways, our heroes end up having to negotiate with Grandemere, uh in order to convince him to free Man at arms uh, from the crystallized state Skeletor had put him in. This would have required He-Man to chop down Skytree, uh, the only living thing older than Granimir, much to the dragon's chagrin. Naturally, He-Man takes the high road and explains to Granimir that taking a life is never justified. In the end, Granimir finds a new respect for humans, and all is well. For now. Then we move on to the return of Granimir. Here we're introduced to his son Tor, if I'm pronouncing that right, who is in love with a human girl, but is unable to participate in a competition that could enable him to win her hand in marriage. For this a human required, so who else but He-Man is called upon to save the day, and save the day he does. Next in Disappearing Dragons, He-Man and crew end up on a wild dragon chase, leading them to discover that some of Skeletor's goons have been hoarding dragon eggs. Uh, Shadowing, an ancient enemy of Granimers, uh ends up getting released later on in the episode. Uh, there's an epic battle of beasts, uh, where Granimir proves victorious, uh, thus showing us again why he rules. Finally, in Battle of the Dragons, we're introduced to yet another dragon character, the villainous Morningstar. His plot involves convincing his fellow dragons that humans have attempted to extinguish Granimir's flames, when in fact it was Morningstar himself. After he and a crew recover some ancient flames from Granimir, they reveal Morningstar's plot, thus setting things right yet again. Now let's jump into a time portal and come out in 2002 uh, to revisit Mike Young production's take on Moe 2 and dragons. Doing what Mike Young does best, they give us a more sober take on the material and present dragons more as beasts, not capable of uh, speech or much reasoning, uh, as well as having an affinity for shining objects, uh, much like your would-be host here. In the first episode that feature these awesome creatures, Prince Adam and Tila come across a wounded dragon who got trapped in a pile of rocks. Saving the creature proved a wise decision as later in the episode this very same dragon came to He-Man's rescue, recognizing the hero as Adam himself due to his scent. Later in the episode to walk with dragons, Skeletor uh, utilized Stinkor's unique talents to drive off the dragons so that he can use his Serpentators uh, to attack Randor's palace. Uh, so, pterosaurs, uh, which were introduced in the Mike Young show, were, were presented as dragons' uh, natural enemies. Uh, so that was an interesting dynamic there. Uh, we also got to see the uh, mechanical dragons uh, in this episode by way of Man-at-Arms' Dragon Walkers. Uh, I failed to mention the Dragon Walker from the Filmation show, uh, but that's for a very good reason. <laughs> uh, overall, I have to say I prefer uh, Filmation's more fairy tale take on dragons. Uh, Granamir and his chamber full of treasures brings to mind such fantasy classics as The Hobbit. We also see that dragons can be good or evil, just as humans can. Uh, they can fall in love, and in some cases with humans, uh, which was an interesting twist. Uh, but again, this all shows how Filmation, uh, they rule dragons really with many dimensions. Uh, Mike Young's take was okay for what it was, but in my opinion, once you take dragon uh, magic out of dragons, uh, it becomes more like Jurassic Park, uh, except in this case the dragons can breathe fire. Well, that's enough for uh, this segment. Uh hopefully I'll be back next time to discuss something else uh filmation and Mike Young related. Until then, fellow masters, good journey.
3: He-Man,
0: he-Man. Go get
3: Go. Go Walker, get battle him. Armor, He-Man, and and merman each sold separately. He-Man. Page, He-Man. Batteries He-Man. not included. Dragonwalker vehicle for use with
0: most Masters of the Universe figures. Action figures each sold separately from Mattel.
3: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another installment of Chronicles Comics Corner, the portion of the Masters of the Universe Chronicles show where we take a look at He-Man's various appearances in comics over the years. I'm James Sawyer, otherwise known as Sala, and I'm your host for these little segments. Today, we're going to take a trip back and look at He-Man's very first appearance in a comic, the He-Man and the Power Sword mini comic. At the time this comic was created, the He-Man concept was pretty loose still. Mattel basically just had the toy concepts and no real storyline attached to it. So in order to expand upon it, they went to Western Publishing, which they actually owned at the time. They bought Western in 1979 and said, hey, we want to create four little mini-comics to pack in with these figures. We want you to take our concepts, make it into a story, so that we can kind of hook kids in. Don Glute, who worked for the West Coast branch of western publishing at the time accepted the job and wrote these original four mini comics which have now become referred to by the fans as the mini Turnia version of he-man the art here is handled by alfredo alcala and it's not really set up like the uh, a traditional comic would be it's just one large panel with typed uh, story beneath so it's more like a children's story book than it is a comic book But since this is Chronicles Comics Corner, we're going to go ahead and say it's a comic book. It opens up with... uh, Oh, I should probably tell you real quickly that there are two versions of this mini-comic. One is lengthier than the other. They actually, upon later releases of this comic, shortened it. And so the story gets kind of crammed down and there's less art. We're going to take a look at the lengthier version, just so we get the full story. It opens up with He-Man leaving his jungle tribe. And this He-Man is... Not quite as clothed as your traditional He-Man. He's just got his furry shorts. He has no power harness, no bracers, no axe, no shield, no sword, and no boots to cover his little tootsies. He just got his furry shorts and a spear. But he's going to take his spear, and he's going to go defend Eternia from evil forces. And in particular, Castle Grayskull, the place of wonders. Don Glute seems to recall that he dubbed the name Castle Grayskull. And he did it because... The reference that Mattel sent just showed a castle with a skull, but it appeared gray in the pictures they sent. And since his wife at the time, her maiden name was Gray, he went ahead and called it Castle Gray Skull. So if you ever wondered why Castle Gray Skull isn't really gray, that's why. Cut back to He-Man after that little history lesson. He-Man is, is going off to defend Eternia, and on his way he sees his first bit of trouble. A woman, whose skin is green, and she's wearing snake armor, is being attacked by this purple beast. So He-Man swings down and uses his brute strength to fight this thing off, and the woman tries to help as well. She's firing magical bolts, and he realizes, wow, this woman's a sorceress. But her power is not enough to defeat it, but He-Man's brute strength is, and so he defeats this monster. Then the sorceress tells him that his strength and courage mark him as the legendary hero who is to inherit the treasures she's guarded all these years. So she takes him to this cave, and there we find his power harness and his axe and his shield, some boots to cover his feet with, and a vehicle, which is the battle ram. These were all things that were made centuries ago, before the Great Wars, by Eternia's scientists. They're given to He-Man, and the sorceress tells him to use him to add to his his already great strength, and he can now defend Castle Grayskull with them interject here, and we'll talk about the goddess's design a little bit, which the fans have come to refer to her over the years as the goddess, to make her a separate character than our traditional sorceress. She's basically just Tila in green with her snake armor on. Now, Don Glute recalls that he created Tila. He said that Mattel didn't have the concept of a warrior woman at the time, so he came up with Tila, which he named after a elephant from some show in the 50s. He just liked the name. Uh, So he came up with this concept and said Well, just like the He-Man figure You can can create this one body And you can create other characters So that's why this goddess character Basically is just a green Tila Because they would use the existing Tila mold Paint it green and they would have had a goddess That figure never came out though But that's why she's just basically a green Tila Back to the story though He-Man heads off on his battle ram Which is also known as a space warp device To go build his house and he's just going to use the power of his his hands to knock down rock and build a house with it. He's a real man's man. And now that he has the power harness, which augments his strength, he's able to do all these great things. So we leave him to go ahead and build his house out of rocks, and we cut to the introduction of Skeletor and Beastman. And we find out that they're basically peeping toms. They're peeping on Tila, who, they're talking about how beautiful she is, and Skeletor's like, well, she's going to be my bride. I'm going to go ahead and Marry that woman. Um she's there with her unicorn charger and so they they're gonna go ahead and attack her and make her his bride. Skeletor takes out the unicorn and Beastman's getting ready to rough up Tila and Skeletor's not having that. He said, like, Whoa, take it easy, man. Don't bruise up my lady. I'm not into that. But they still knock her out anyway, and they, they carry her off to Castle Grayskull because apparently he has to go there to marry her. They arrive at Castle Grayskull with He Man carrying the er He Beast Man Beastman carrying the unconscious Tila they arrive there, and the spirits of Skull are warning him off and say, Whoa, 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 You're, the secrets inside Greyskull aren't for you guys. You better just take off, and Skeletor just basically ignores that. There's also a, a hidden warrior up on one of the, the castle's uh, parapets that's observing this whole thing. I should also interject here and mention that there's two... Merman makes an appearance here. He shows up with Skeletor and Beastman to break into Castle Grayskull, but that's his only appearance in the comic. He's just outside Castle Grayskull. But even stranger is the Avion character that's there, which is Stratos, because they hadn't decided at this point if Stratos was going to be evil or good. But at this point he's evil, so he's there. He's not named, he's not mentioned, but he's there. So Merman and an evil Stratos are outside, but they don't do anything. So of course, Skeletor gets in using his half of the power sword, and he's going to go inside and find the other half that he knows is inside the walls of Castle Grayskull. And he's going to use both halves to open a hole in a dimensional wall to bring his people over. See, Skeletor arrived on Eternia because a hole was opened up in his dimension from the Great Wars and he was thrown into Eternia. Now this is the early version of Skeletor where he's a, an interdimensional being which we know was kind of revised later on to be the Keldor thing, and then they added it back in from O2 Classics, but at this point he is the extra-dimensional, inter-dimensional, whatever you want to call it, being that's been thrown over. So he's going to use these halves combined to bring all his brethren over, and they're going to conquer Eternia together. Now the page where this is all explained is a source of a long-held debate amongst fans, because there's a little sequence where there's four Skeletors walking into a hole. Now some people have seen this as Alcala just drawing the sequence of Skeletor walking forward and getting into the hole. But other people think that this is inside Skeletor's head where he's talking about uniting the halves and then he's going to open the hole and then his brethren are walking through. So all of them look like Skeletor. Same outfits and all that stuff. For the longest time I thought it was just the staging of Alcala walking it forward. But the more I think of it and the more I look at the way it's laid out it really does look like they all Dressed like Skeletor, and they're all just a bunch of Skeletors over there. I guess it's up to you to decide. It's it's a person's own preference. It's on page ten of the long version, so take a look at it and see what you think. So Skeletor is inside Castle Grayskull, and he's looking for this half of the the power sword. And Beast Man finds this map that's written in blood, and they know that oh well that's going to tell us exactly where the sword is. So we'll leave them alone, and they're going to go off and find that other half. Meanwhile, we cut back to. Um, that mysterious warrior that was hiding up on the Castle Grayskull tops and was observing Skeletor breaking in. Turns out it was Man-at-Arms, and he's heading off to get He-Man's help to defeat Skeletor and Beast-Man, because they've gotten inside Castle Grayskull and they're up to no good. Man-at-Arms says, let's team up and let's go back and take him out. He-Man says, well, it would be great to team up with you. You'd make a great sidekick, basically. Uh, I'm I'm going to get there first, because I've got this space warp vehicle, so I'm going to head on over. So he zaps out of there with his battle ram, to Castle Grayskull to defeat Skeletor who is at this time find, trying to break down this door that they've found that has, the map has led them to and they know that the other half behind it so Skeletor is using his half to cut down the the door and here's a commotion outside which we as the reader know is the arrival of He-Man he says Beast Man go check out what that commotion is all about so Beast Man heads up to the the turret of Grayskull and he sees He-Man has arrived and so he starts blasting away at him but He-Man's force field is protecting him his power harness. uh, He-Man's kind of boastful, saying, you know, is that the best you can do, you brainless gorilla? So I have nothing to worry about. But it turns out he does have something to worry about, and Beastman isn't so brainless. He figures, well, that force field's protected him, but that thing he's riding on's not protected, so he shoots that, which knocks He-Man off, and then he accidentally deactivates his force field. I don't know about you, but a force field that can be accidentally deactivated Deactivated by falling off of something Isn't that good of a force field So we cut back to Skeletor And he's now found the other half And he's united them and he's got the ultimate power So basically everybody's in trouble If you're a good guy This time Man-in-Arm shows up And he shoots at Beast Man, And gives He-Man a chance to get up And use his brute strength to open the jaw bridge And get inside to defeat Skeletor He then sheds his damaged uh, power harness and his boots and his bracers and gets down to just his furry underwear again. Which kinda doesn't make a lot of sense, but okay, well let's just go with it. Skeletor then uses his the power of the power sword, the now fully united power sword, to send a bunch of weapons to attack He-Man. Now part of me thinks that this may have been some kind of cross cell type thing, that they knew that they were going to include a bunch of weapons with Grey Skull, and so they said, well, include a bunch of weapons in this sequence, because Gray is going to come with a bunch of weapons. Otherwise, I have no idea why Skeletor wouldn't just blast him with the power sword. He-Man's in trouble. He's fighting all these weapons. The sorcerer shows up, separates the halves of the power sword, and at that point, is pretty much done in. Uh, the, the heroes then unite and defeat Beastman and Skeletor with, with ease. Um, He-Man is now dressed again, by the way. He's put his boots back on, and his belt back on, and his power harness back on. I guess he felt a little modest. Skeletor and Beastman ask for mercy, and... They, they're given mercy, and they just go running off, as villains do when they're defeated. And the heroes are left to go, hey, we did a good job. The Spirit of Grayskull um, is also saying they did a fantastic job. And the goddess is vanishing and saying, I'll split these halves and hide them, where they won't be found again. In order to reward the heroes, they're given something. And what they're given is Tila's unicorn back, which was already hers in the first place. And she really didn't do anything other than sleep the entire book so I really don't know why she got the reward and He-Man and Man-at-Arms who did all the work got nothing but that's the way the cookie crumbles um, so that concludes this issue um, we'll, we'll lead into another one of the original four mini-comics next time um, if you want to talk about this or anything else He-Man related you can head to my Facebook page which is facebook.com slash Masters of the Universe Classics you can check out my site which is motukfigures.com that's M-O-T-U-C figures.com, where I've got a bunch more comics scanned up and put on there, like the UK stuff. Um, I don't have this one up yet, but eventually I'll get the mini comics on. But for now, let's head back to Chris Vent with some more Masters of the Universe Chronicles.
1: Hello, welcome back to another discussion part of the Masters of the Universe Chronicles. Uh, we have some old hands here, ones you've heard before, probably the last episode, and one that you've not heard for a while. So I'll let the one that you haven't heard a while Introduce himself, and uh, as soon as he does, you'll understand who it is. So go ahead, sir, and introduce yourself.
0: That's I you talking about me.
1: Yeah, that's right. It's just I like the way your first sentence. It always seems to be the, the the voice is like near enough on the floor. You know, it's really really low, and it's just like yeah, follow that. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's good to be back. I haven't been on the show in a while. And, yeah. Uh, it's, I, I'm long overdue, so I'm glad to be here
1: I think the last episode you were on was, I think it was maybe the BIOS discussion And I think it was your child was crying and you had to leave halfway through, if memory serves
0: That sounds correct, yes, yes okay. The joys of parenthood
1: <laughs> um, Next up is Ryan Porter, and hello and welcome back to Match Universe Chronicles, Ryan
4: Oh, thank you, Chris. I don't have a cool voice, and I don't say anything cool, so people love following me.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I wish I wish you were on Twitter for me to follow, you see. You ah, know, like, I see. Well, see. Rob
4: Bates talked me into Facebook, but I don't think Twitter's happening anytime soon.
1: And another person who's on Twitter and Facebook is Mike Lissy. Hello, Mike.
5: Hey, Chris. Thanks for having me back
1: anytime sir, anytime sir so basically what we're going to do today is talk about She-Ra, Princess of Power, Season 1, Volume 1 uh, like the last episode of the filmation, Season 1, Volume 2 very much the same kind of vein um, the guys are going to talk about their episode um, unfortunately I will be reading these um, little synopsis things and not James because James has lent his DVDs to someone um, so he doesn't have the little pamphlet thing um, he did have something to read but... Um, I think it was a little bit in depth um, So that would kind of take away from what we're going to talk about So we'll start off with Mr. Porter Um, Ryan, uh, what episode is the first one that you've chosen?
4: Uh, The first one I've chosen is The Eldritch Mist Excuse me (laughs) (laughs) That's why I'm not reading the synopsis Yeah, (laughs) so
1: it's basically that title Um, Shadow Weaver obtains the, and then that word again Book of Spells uh, Which he plans to use against the Whispering Woods at Mysticor Castuspella uses her magic vision pool to show Adora the image of her brother on Eternia. Castisbella is a little smitten with affection for Prince Adam, and she, is she, in inverted commas, accidentally uses her powers to bring Adam through the pool and onto Etheria. As Adam emerges, he soon learns that his timing could not have been more appropriate, for She-Ra and He-Man will soon have to battle the mist of the endless sleep, and Castisbella will have to confront her former ally, Shadow Weaver. So, Ryan, uh, why this particular Misty episode?
4: Well, as uh, we talked a lot about in our discussion of uh, Volume 2 of uh, Masters, I, I enjoy the the episodes that have a heavy fantasy element to them. And with uh, Shadow Weaver and Cast featuring heavily in this one, we get... Uh, toward the end I don't want to say A great wizard's duel But probably as great As Filmation will provide us With um yeah,
1: You can't say great, wi- great wizard's duel Whenever a teddy bear Is involved That's
4: very true So a, um, a Adequate Wizard's duel Um But just the Kind of the wizards Or the witches I should say I guess Going at it Um Spella is a very Interesting character In my opinion I like her a lot And who doesn't Love Shadow Weaver Um, Well, people not getting subscriptions don't love Shadow Weaver But anyway (laughs) (laughs) Mike's getting four Shadow Weavers He loves Shadow Weaver Yes, Mike does love Shadow Weaver (laughs) Um, And then I think just Cast a Spell in general is very intriguing Um, I think she would have been looking at that vision pool Even if Adora hadn't been there Um, She's uh, obviously Quite taken with Adam and uh, he seems quite taken with her, which adds some actually some really fun elements to this episode. But like I said, I, I just you know the potential. I see the potential. I, t- we talked about before how my mind always wanders, and this the if if this was if Shira had gotten the 2000x treatment, cast a spell and shadow, we were going at it would have been pretty fantastic to see. So um, yeah, those fantasy elements mixed with some of the character, I don't want to say development with uh, cast a make this a fun episode that I always enjoy watching.
1: I don't like Cassis Bella I don't she's like su- her she voice It sounds like she's 88 years old Which It is sounds like a- <laughs> Hello I'm a female Arnold <laughs> Welcome to a theater. It's just like her voice Just goes through me It's terrible
4: Voice is uh, not as great as the rest of her That's for sure
1: No well that, that's true Yeah but um, yeah, It's uh, Obviously um, I've seen that Mike's been doing A lot of research And I've been watching A couple of episodes So um, This is one that I didn't Particularly remember um, but it's always nice to see, as you say, like Shadow Weaver. It's always nice. To, it's nice to see as well that her former ally, you know. So would it be nice, as you said, Ryan, to do the 2000x treatment, um, and to see like how those two came, um, how they were allies, and you know what broke that apart, and all that kind of stuff. I know we see like what kind of happens to Shadow Weaver in one of the later episodes, which title eludes me. But um, Mike James, what are your thoughts on Ryan's uh, episode?
5: One of, the, uh, one of the funny things uh, I think about this episode is when, uh, when Adam is brought to Etheria and uh, he's just, like, snatched out from his, uh, from his napping, it, uh, it pulls him into the pond and it looks like he's being flushed into Etheria. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: G- James, do you have anything to add apart from, like, being flushed to Etheria?
0: This episode had sexual chemistry. and hadn't from the very beginning.
1: <laughs> Only you could say that in that voice as well, and just us I was wondering as soon as I heard sex, I was like, "Where is he going with this?"
0: I'm keeping it G-rated.
1: <laughs> Thank goodness for that, and not rated R. But um, no, it's a good episode, and we will pick it up with Ryan with his next pick later. Uh, Roboto, what is your first pick?
0: What else could it be? But the missing axe—the single greatest episode of Shira, or of all filmation. Um. Okay. Wow,
1: okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, okay. Um, I'm saying that
0: sarcastically.
1: Okay, I was just going to say, oh, are you sure oh. you've got the episode title <laughs> correct? You know, The Missing Acts, yeah. I thought you were going to say, it's play it again, Bo! Um, <laughs> okay, so, um, Bo is visiting his friend, I'm going to say, what's his name, is it Mark, or... That's Mark, how it looks at. Mark, Mark, Mac. whatever, with Kyle and Arrow and has agreed to meet Adora at Lavender Pond soon after. His sons, Thad and Kyle, go to chop some wood for him in the forest whilst he and Bo are having lunch, but are horrified when their father's axe disappears when they're off taking a break. Consumed by guilt, the boys concoct a story about a thief stealing the axe and headed to the marketplace at Green Thatch, a town still under horde rule. Bo van v- v- to return the axe to its rightful owner and sets off for Green Thatch, where the boy's toil tail continues to spiral out of control. So, what is it about um, the axe that goes missing that you particularly like?
0: Well, that's a great question, Chris. <laughs> I like it because I like it. Let me. Okay, let's go back. Let, let me. Let me explain why I chose this episode. There was an episode of Master's Cast a long time ago, even before, I think before Chronicles was even around. And John Callis, the shadow, he mentioned the missing axe and how terrible it was. Shortly later, the, uh, the DVDs were released, of course, He-Man first and then She-Ra. When I got She-Ra, I, I was reading through the list and I saw the missing axe on there. So I like, oh, yeah, I remember Master's Cast talking about how bad this was. So I had to, had to watch it. Wow. This episode, whew, it's about nothing. <laughs> and and sometimes, I don't know what it is, we all have this, we, we enjoy watching something that isn't very good. Maybe it's, a uh, hmm, where am I going?
1: <laughs> I wish I knew.
0: <laughs> yeah, I wish I knew too. <laughs> Well, let's just talk about this. Uh, okay. One one good thing about the episode is that we get to see uh, She-Ra use her healing powers on the little animal known as a Scruffier. This is nice. That's about it. That's, that's about the highlight of the episode. It's downhill from there. So you see, Bo is showing off his bow and arrow skills in front of these two kids. Thad and Kyle. And Thad and Kyle are, of course, envious of Bo and Want, want to play with the bow and arrow but, caught, but But their father, Mark, says no, 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 you can't do that, that's too dangerous instead, here's an axe to go play with <laughs> and not only that but, the, but then Mark, the father explains to these two children this axe is my livelihood so not only is it a dangerous thing for children to play with but it's also the means of which the father produces income for his family so I just found that absolutely ridiculous no here don't go put no you cannot play with the bow and arrow instead go play with the axe which if I don't have that I can't put food on the table so uh, yeah it was, it was it was just it was so ridiculous it was so absurd I felt it, des- it deserved to have some attention here on this podcast
1: okay uh, you do know what I said to pick your favorite two not your, the ones that you absolutely despise um but you're uh, pick sometimes like, sometimes favorite... like return of the Seahawk for goodness sake instead of picking a missing axe
0: <laughs> nobody was going to pick the mix- missing axe we're never going to be able to talk <laughs> about for, the a axe. for a reason
1: for a reason Well, you,
0: you know when you take something you've got to examine the the two endpoints the two you know the 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 best of the best and sometimes the worst of the worst also deserves a little recognition just to uh to look at, to laugh at, and that's that's why I picked this episode. And uh, I knew I certainly knew no one else was going to pick it. <laughs> so, okay. Uh, and those are my thoughts on the missing axe.
1: Um, Mike, uh, your thoughts on this? And for the great episode.
5: <laughs> what uh, what, what is up with the He-Man villains and and their obsession with animals? You have Hordak at the beginning of this episode, uh, you know, collecting animals for a zoo you have uh you know in, in in he-man you have skeletor becomes obsessed with a circus it, and i don't i don't understand the obsession what's going on
1: uh, I i don't know uh ryan <laughs> anything to add uh i didn't think it was the worst episode i've
4: ever seen um i uh, i want to say it was the greatest episode obviously okay uh, Well, what's
1: the worst episode that you've seen then
4: uh that's I. it's too depressing it wasn't. It wasn't this. Like I wouldn't have watched this on my own, but watching it, I'm like, okay, I, I get what's going on here. I thought I was a little perplexed because I followed directions. I picked my fa- not my favorites, but some good ones. <laughs> anyway, I just blame this one all on the Twiggets because if they hadn't taken something that didn't belong to them, these kids wouldn't have had to lie and get in trouble. And they weren't wrong. They did did get stolen. It just they <laughs> didn't didn't describe purple people instead of a purple cloak. So I'm just I'm just really upset at the Twiggets. That's all. It's all their fault. It is their fault. Leave <laughs> stuff alone. It doesn't belong to you. Put it back.
1: So we've <laughs> established now that obviously it's Raman and Masters and its Twiggets and Shira. So we not, know not, not
4: always. Just in this episode. Okay. Okay. No, so uh, there. I'll, I'll go to a Twigget carnival before I watch another episode with Raman in it. <laughs>
1: Okay, we'll move on to Mike's uh, first pick. Uh, Mike, what is your first pick, sir?
5: I picked the uh, the Gateway to Trouble.
1: Okay. Uh, Modulok flees Snake Mountain for Etheria with a machine made for Skeletor, the gate maker, capable of opening portals between worlds and thus allowing the Lord of Destruction to rid himself of the Eternian royal family. Uh Modulok proposes the machine to Hordak, saying he can use it to conquer Eternia. Skeletor, however, has followed him and is intent on stealing the Gate Maker back from himself. It is up to Shera and He man to stop Skeletor, Modulok, and Hordak before an attack on Eternia is launched. Uh so why get way to the trouble then, Mr. Lacey?
5: Uh I thought it was interesting, um, some of the things in this episode. You see, uh you could see Tongue Lasher um, who they actually just called tongue lash and, and Modulok, both working for Skeletor. Um, and, uh, which is funny cause tongue lasher, you know, actually has a horde symbol on, on his chest. So at some point, you know, he, prior to this, he had to have been working for the horde in some capacity. So I guess, I guess he's spent time working for all three factions. <laughs> he can't, he can't make up his mind, uh, who, who he wants to work for. Um, I like the fact that this is an episode where we see uh, we see Modulok, uh, basically take his loyalty from Skeletor and and enter uh, enter serving the Horde. This is the be- the beginning of Majolok in the Horde uh, when he take you know he feels like he's not being respected by Skeletor and he says you know what I'm going to take the Gate Maker and I'm going to go to Etheria and, and give it to Hordek. Maybe he'll you know appreciate my talents and, and what I can do for him. Um so I think that's I think that's pretty funny. Skeletor, you know, he, he tries to go and, and take it back for himself. And uh
1: Carry on. Oh <laughs> We we're just Sorry. listening intently, we don't want to interrupt. Carry on.
5: No, no, he managed to get pulled into the whole thing. And uh, Skeletor has to decide whether or not he wants to join forces with He-Man and She-Ra to try and fight Hordak, but he decides he's going to wait and see who wins instead.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's pretty funny, that part. I I did laugh whenever that came on because I totally forgot that happened in that.
5: And then you've got things like, you know, Shadow Weaver uses the electricity from the Gate Maker to make an electric monster, and He-Man and She-Ra, they use their swords to try and short-circuit the device, but, you know, don't you think they'd get electrocuted? He men's wearing a, a metal a metal harness and they're using metal swords, <laughs> so I I, I guess uh, they try to use science in order to resolve the problem, <laughs> except the fact that they completely defy science in the process.
1: Maybe they're wearing rubber boots. <laughs> <laughs> I,
5: I guess. So. <laughs> is there There's, any
1: reason? Does anyone know why in this episode that tongue lasher is called tongue lash at the start? Because I noticed that. And one of the episodes, Snipespite, is called Hose Nose.
5: No, I think I think they we're, just use different uh, different uh, different names for them through different periods of time.
1: Were you going to say something there, James?
0: Were the names definitive? Because hmm. I know a lot of times when they do the storyboard, uh, when they do the storyboards, they would come up with a certain look or even certain names for the characters. But then when it finally comes to uh, when they're producing the episode, they they make last-minute changes, and that differs from the storyboard. I wonder if that's kind of a disconnect. That's why no, the name is different. In
1: one of them where Glimmer and um, Glimmer and Shera get shrunk, and they ha- they're covering like blue stuff, and then they say. Shearer says, "Let's go to Hose Nose, and he can spray. Uh, he can spray the water on us, and then you see snout Spout in the water, and then he does that, and then just walks off."
0: So. Is that is that just is that just like a nickname, like uh, you know, He Man would refer to Skeletor as uh, Bone Face? Are they just you know, is that just kind of like a a slang or a nickname for uh, for snout Spout as Hose Nose? Maybe.
5: That's kind sh- of what I was thinking.
1: It's a pretty stupid ne- nickname. Let's just go with the <laughs> Elephant Man. So, or the one that that's, doesn't that's, fit that's, in over here. It's
4: Snout cousin. You just think they all look alike. That's,
0: that's ah, ah. There you go.
5: We have, have Snout cousin. We have Mechaneck's uncle. <laughs> <That's all right.
4: laughs> it's, a, it's a
1: family gathering. All about making the world bigger. Okay. Um, James, do you have anything to add about um, Gateway to Trouble?
0: It does not compare to the missing axe. That's all I have to say.
1: <laughs> yeah, well done, Mike, and actually picking a good episode. <laughs> oh, I'm going to say in that matter, uh, Ryan.
4: Um, just that for a crossover episode, this one had uh at least a, a measurable amount of story going into the crossover. Starting with with Skeletor wanting to to banish the royal family to a theory which I thought was 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 kind of cool, as opposed to just. Cast a spell is bored, so she's looking at Adam, and it's like, yeah, I'll, br- I'll bring him over. Like it's you know, it was a little more a little more structured in the in the crossover there. I like that, and then the dynamic of the good guys versus the two bad guys is always a good time. So, an enjoyable episode for sure.
5: You you, ha- you have Skeletor wanting to banish the royal family to uh, to Ethereia so Hordak can uh, can deal with them, and then at the end you have He Man willing to leave Skeletor
1: on Etheria so Shira can deal with him. <laughs> I think I would rather deal with Skeletor than Hordak though but you yeah, have I'm them both uh, no thanks one or the other but um, we'll move on to my pick then which is King Mero's Journey um, Hordak and Adora both receive unexpected visitors Adora's grandfather King Mero and Prince Adam journey from Eternia on a casual visit and Horde Prime sends Inspector Darkney to Etheria to investigate Hordak's failures against Rebellion After being given a tour of the Fright Zone, the Inspector devises a plan to trap the Rebels inside their home by encasing the Whispering Woods inside a huge Crystal Dome, thus stopping them from wrecking the Horde's evil activity. King Mero vows to join his grandchildren in their fight for freedom, but they have to escape the Crystal Dome first. Now, one thing about this episode is, (coughs) um, every time I watch this now, all I can think of is The Simpsons. Cause in the Simpsons movie, the exact same thing happens, where they put a big dome around Springfield. Um, King Miro as well is always a character that I liked in the in the Master Universe, um, even though he only appeared in one uh, episode. But at the start of this, um, there's like a exhibition thing going on, and uh, the guide is saying, you know, this is King Miro, blah blah blah, and. Um, uh, King Miro actually comes up and says, Hi, oh, yes, but uh, the silly man, you know, got captured by an enchantress and the child goes, Yeah, who are you? Oh, it's me, it's King Miro. But um, I actually want to get King Miro as a figure to then complete my royal family because my royal family isn't complete. Um, well, due to the fact that Queen Marlena is still not here and that's just lovely. Um, <laughs> but I like the fact that as well um, that you have so many, you know, like, it's just basically Mero, Adora, Adam, or Adam He-Man, whatever way you want to call it, and uh, maybe uh, a couple of the Twiggets, who are then um, teasing a couple of Horde Troopers who have found their way in the Whispering Woods, so maybe they were looking for an axe that they lifted, I don't know. Um, <laughs> but this is, this is for me, has always been an episode that has really stood out, and just to see the kind of bond between adora and her grandfather because you don't really see her interact with a lot of her family apart from adam um but that's just my take on it. it's just a really nice episode and one that i um, immediately thought of as well as the other one that i'll talk about um who else wants to talk about uh, king Miru's journey
5: now you said well, you said that this episode reminds you of the simpsons for, for me it reminds me a lot of star wars I mean, you, you know, with, uh, with Adam and Adora, you have the whole separated-at-birth twins, you know, deal going on, but it gets a little bit more, it little, swings a little bit more that way with this episode because, for me, the whole interaction between Inspector Darkney, Horde Prime, and Hordak is kind of like, you know, Horde Prime is the Emperor character. You know, uh, Inspector Darkney is like Grand Moff Tarkin is the bureaucratic middleman between, you know, Horde Prime being the Emperor and Hordak being Darth Vader. Even down to the way that that Darkness speaks to Hordak, you know, kind of you know speaks down to him and whatnot. So I mean, that, that that's kind of what uh, the the vibe that I get from uh, from this episode, all the way down to you know they have uh, they have this uh, this machine that the Horde Empire has you know has created, and and Inspector Darkness so pompous and believing that it, that it can't be destroyed, and then you know at at the end you have He Man in the Luke role destroying it. So it, it kind of all ties up, you know, in in a big uh, Star Wars knot. That's a good
0: observation. I didn't think yeah. about that.
4: All, all we needed was Hordak to cut King Miro in half at the end, and we would have been, <laughs> would
1: have been perfect. <laughs> I could have been this action feature as well. Just kind yeah. of the, you know, like the King has feature. Just pull the top off. There you go. But no, Isn't that's that? that is a great observation, actually, Mike. That's awesome. You should have chosen this episode rather than me, Mike. <laughs> I was going to pick uh, The Missing Axe, but unfortunately somebody already picked that. <laughs> it's yeah. a one. It's stole yep. that one from you. <laughs> yep, indeed. Um, so we'll move on. Ryan, it's uh, your pick next. So what was your other pick?
4: My other pick was The Reluctant Wizard.
1: Okay. Um, the Reluctant Wizard. Madam Raz is surprised when a haggard old tree saves her from capture by a horde trooper and startles the other rebels with the news. Bimu Shira visits Light Hope to get more information. The tree is home to an ancient mistrusting wizard who does not want to be disturbed by anyone, only to live a peaceful existence. The rebels journey to his mystical home in the desert to try to convince him to help them with their battle for freedom, but their trek is a mission filled with peril and danger, especially with Hordak and not far behind. So they're in the desert, so is this the kind of uh, Ethereum uh, Sands of Time then? Uh, perhaps, perhaps
4: the equivalent, uh, another one for me with with heavy fantasy elements, obviously, um, the wizard and all the obstacles uh, before they can get to him was nice the um, uh, I guess it 's not really politics, but I guess it kind of is in that he's he 's stayed out of it for so long that everyone 's forgotten about him, and the moment he gets involved, he want to do the right thing, he becomes the center of everyone 's attention again, which basically means if you 're going to stay out of it, I guess you really ought to stay out of it. Um, I almost didn't pick it because I hate so much that the whole reason for his self-exile was because people teased him about how he looked. Like, I was thinking the entire episode that he was doing it because he was so powerful and he didn't want to take a side that he banished himself to to protect everyone. But no, he
1: got made fun of, so he ran away. So Um, it's very much like the Manny faces, you know, like he kind of um, is mean to people because they laugh at him and all that kind of stuff, so it's kind of the same kind of... Going on there. Couldn't couldn't go through this without bringing up Manny faces, could you?
5: No. He, he didn't get to right. beat up widgets though.
1: And he did, he didn't beat up widgets. He, <laughs> he just
4: saved he just saved Madame Raz. He did beat up a horde trooper, but who doesn't beat up a horde trooper? Um, and actually, I thought it was really funny when the, the horde trooper was trying to tell Hordak about the tree, and he sends him through the trap door, blows him up. Was it would he blow him up or the trap door? I can't remember which one. It was. I think he blew yeah. him
5: up. He blew him up, up. Yeah. And, then,
4: and then Shadow Weaver's like, "Oh wait, you know what? Uh, he might have been telling the truth. Like, you couldn't have said that right, right before he got blown up." <laughs> he goes, but, oh, uh, sorry. Yeah. Oh well, I, not really that upset, but yeah. <laughs> so that's uh, it. Was just a, a fun episode, and uh, not maybe not on the level of uh, the missing axe, but one I enjoyed. <laughs>
1: Honestly, it's going to get worse with his next pick, uh, James. Do you have anything to add about uh, the reluctant wizard? I don't say it's not the missing ox because we know it's not.
0: No, it, no, it was definitely a good, uh, definitely a good episode. Uh, a lot to enjoy about it. I, it doesn't compare to my next, my next pick though.
1: Mike,
5: you got uh this? You got Willy Wonka hiding inside of his. Uh his tree fort <laughs> make, making chocolate monsters. What is
1: with the, what is with the film <laughs> references tonight? I don't know.
5: I'm, I'm telling you, when I've been watching these episodes, I'm like, they had to have stolen this from this. They had to have stolen this from that. <laughs> it's just too, and, there, and there's just way too much Madame Raz in this for me. <gasps> I'm, I am not a Madame Raz fan.
0: <laughs> oh dearie mine. Madam Madame, Madame, Razz, <laughs> Madame oh, Razz
5: is snap. I ran man. Oh, that's terrible.
4: She shot to the top well, not the top, two bed's still at the top of my list, but Madam Madame Raz shot way up my want list with uh, the procurement of filmation rights. I Madame Raz and Broom cracked me up.
1: <laughs> what was it? I'm trying to think of the episode that it was. I watched it. oh that play it again, Bo, That your features heavily in with her, like, um... a frith, or whatever he's called, from her romantic past, which just looks the exact same as her, although instead of having white hair, he's got, like, a white beard. It's like the trolls
4: Well, I, yeah. I love in, in this episode in uh, Reluctant Wizard 2 that uh, Madame Raz Broom and... And Shira even joined in And messing with Bo When they're, yeah. f- when they're flying out to the and he's like Oh I wish Adora was here Oh what's that mean Shira's not good enough for you No I'm glad Shira's here Oh so you're disappointed That Adora's not
1: here And they just <laughs> messing with him Poor Bo And they're like Ha 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 And then like Something happens And they're like Yeah that'll teach you Yeah And Shira just went Woman they're all kind and of discarded.
4: They're really mean to Bo And spell And none of the other girls Seem to like him And That guy's got it rough man Surrounded by women And none of them want Anything to do with him.
1: Okay, Um, I apologize in advance, folks. Uh, Roboto, your next pick?
0: Laughing Dragon. What else could it be?
1: After almost accidentally (laughs) setting fire to an entire village, Bo is berated by Adora. No sooner has she spoken than a huge dragon rises from beneath the ground and has the community in panic. They need not worry as this dragon is the most cowardly of them all, and in a really bad episode, a trait that he is personally ashamed of. <coughs> Adora suggests that the power of magic could award sor- Sorrowful with courage, so the rebels seek the help of Cassispella nearby in Mysticore. However, the horde are slowly edging away in Cassispella's domain by brutally destroying the forest. Sierra and friends must battle the horde, and Sorrowful must face his biggest fear yet. Why on earth, after the first awful episode, did you pick this? Does he actually laugh in it?
0: No, that's part of what I don't understand. I don't. I don't think he laughs at all in this.
1: Cause whenever I looked at <laughs> the laughing dragon, all right, this is going to be, you know, like uh, the mole whose name escapes me from Master Universe that um, he gets the glasses of he gets glasses eventually and he always laughs every time he says something so I thought it was going to be like that but uh, James uh, explain yourself that's all I've got to say
0: <laughs> again I wanted to talk about an episode that was not very good ok this, this episode has got a it's, it's about a stupid dragon that's not even a dragon Dragons are supposed to be big and powerful, you know. Think of Granomir. But no, this guy—he's a shared—he's scared of his own shadow. And of course, Shira gives him a little—a uh, little necklace, saying it will give him power, which, of course, it doesn't. And he throws fire on the horde, and the Shira says, "See, you did this necklace did nothing. You did that. You did that all by yourself."
1: But again, that's like you said about the missing axe you know like you were talking about earlier on about you know just a little lie and the way you know it w- snowballs from one lie into another and another yeah this episode is kind of very similar to the one in He-Man where Cringer has Orko gives Cringer like an amulet and says it'll make you brave and then that's not a magic amulet I was just messing with you mm-hmm. so it's kind of the same kind of thing um but I would have preferred that episode over this one. <laughs> um,
0: well, as... I am pushing for... for the, 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 the dragon's name is Sorrowful. And I know, like, uh, Pixel Dan Should've... keeps pushing for a Mosquito to be in the line. I am pushing for Sorrowful <sighs> to be the next Masters Universe Classics figure.
1: I will go with Ryan and say I won't make uncle before that. <laughs> oh. <laughs>
0: oh. Oh. That's...
1: That's just uh, and it shouldn't be called sorrowful at all. It should be called pitiful. That's horrible. Uh, Ryan, do you have anything to add to this horrible episode? Uh,
4: I wasn't in on the joke in this one. I enjoyed this episode. Really I didn't remember it at all, so I watched it once. I saw the, everyone's you know choices, and I I enjoyed it. I I know the 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 moral was heavy handed, and he's kind of a lame version of a dragon, but. Uh, The turning on the the horde at the end with uh, Leech and I think it's is the other horde guy Mm -hmm. in this one, Um, and I I had no problem with it. It says and then I thought it was weird that that bow almost you know blew up an entire village. Uh, I thought that was I thought that was pretty awesome actually, but um, I just I didn't I didn't get the 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 issue with this. It wasn't it wasn't fantastic, but it certainly wasn't worth. uh, us berating uh the episode
1: like Odora did to Bo. It's it's false advertising the laughing dragon. No there's no laughing dragon in it.
4: So in Lord of the Rings when they went to the prancing pony and there wasn't actually a prancing pony inside the bar, were you upset then too? Uh
1: yeah, I was. I was very I knew, upset. I, I knew you were. Alright. Fair sure enough. <laughs> uh Mike, do you have anything to add to um the laughing dragon that doesn't actually laugh? <laughs>
5: I I think it was we were all supposed to laugh at the dragon. All <laughs> <for>, oh, right, <laughs> for being so bad. Uh, there, I mean, there was just a, there was a a, a a lot to this episode. You get Bo cross cross dressing in the dress.
1: Yep. <laughs> you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so that's why that's, that's why James that. picked this. Yeah. <laughs> you,
5: you have uh, you know uh, you, you have uh, them taking uh, sorrowful often you know off to meet the wizard so he can get his, uh, so he can get his courage.
1: Oh god! It's like the Wizard of Oz with they another all, bloody film yeah, yeah. reference. Mike's three for three.
4: Well, well, let's let's throw in the Liquid Luck and, and Ron Weasley and uh, Half Blood Prince then, while we're at it.
1: <laughs>
5: god.
0: Hey, I got and an idea for for oh. the classics. Uh, for the classics, sorrowful no. action figure. The no. dress can be the accessory that comes with them that we put on bow. <laughs>
1: As long as we get the the flower necklace, I'm good. I can can, can take
4: or leave the dress as long as we get the flower necklace.
1: It'll be like Aloha bow or something. Um, So Mike has picked a far, far, far better episode. Mike, um, what is your chosen episode, sir?
5: The Stone and the Sword.
1: Okay. Hordak tests his latest weapon, the dreaded Doom Balloon on the Whispering Woods. (laughs) Although she destroys the machine, she is thrown off a mountain peak, transformed back into Adora, and the stone in her sword is broken. Adora must undergo a dangerous mission to the top of Skydancer Mountain to find the Crystal Castle. Without the powers of she and then venture into the land of the Etherian Underworld in order to restore the stone and bring she back into existence. So, um, what particularly does it for you for this episode, um, Mike?
5: Uh, it's just it's the, the, the classic tale uh, of the hero loses their powers, and has to go through all kinds of trials and tribulations in order in order to get them back. Um, you know when uh, Bo gets captured and Shira gets knocked off the uh, she gets knocked off the mountaintop, and uh, she realizes when she gets to the bomb she's transformed back into Adora and the and the stone in the sword is broken. You know, she starts. You no, know, starts like you no know, losing it. And like, oh no, you know, my, my powers are gone. So you know, she has to. Uh, she has to actually, you know, climb Skydancer Mountain. You know, uh, where she speaks with Light Hope, and he tells her that you know she has to seek the uh, the aid of the first ones to repair the sword. Um, so there, she has to you know like sled down. You know. Portion, you know, like on Christmas vacation, she puts the Pam on the uh Oh the, I'm the, with the
1: <laughs> reference, We're going goes down
5: Don't the go
4: put none of that stuff on my sled, Clark. <laughs> <laughs> goes
5: down goes down the steps and, 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 and outruns the uh, the spiked ball, then she has to uh she has to face the never ending maze and maneuver through the falling uh spikes from the ceiling in order to reach the cavern of fire. Uh basically just for them to tell her that, you know She's displayed, you know, bravery, wisdom, swiftness, agility, and she's done it all in order to help save her friend. And they basically just remind her that, you know, she's the one that makes Shira, not the fact that Shira makes her. And you know, as she realizes this, the uh, the stone has been fixed, and she can now transform back into Shira. So now she has all of her power back. And what does she do? She goes and she rescues Bo. And how does she do it? with giggle parry powder are you kidding me <laughs> No 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 big giant fight <laughs> you, you, you get you get the powder to the face and uh and 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 that's it
1: <laughs> i'm trying to think of a film reference to do with a giggle powder thing but i can't so i apologize for that um ryan what are your thoughts on this uh Gritly chosen episode, I might add
4: Yes, it is a fantastic episode And uh, Mike knows that uh, I love my, my fantasy and, and mytho- myth- ugh, Mythological elements Which this one has a lot of And just a step further from me, we never like, Well, neither one of them, Adam or Ador Really, I guess, earn their, their swords and their powers And um, they're just part of the, the, the Destiny or whatever, which is fine But it, it's kind of nice to see That, that she kind of earns it back in this episode it was just handed to her before, and once she, she lost it, she kind of had to earn it back which is which is a really cool thing for me to see and uh the first ones are a little a little demonic um which I enjoyed, but everyone who who thinks that uh Shira is evil probably shouldn't show him this episode because it, uh, <laughs> it embellishes the occultic symbols and all that crap that uh, we've had to put up with ever since masters started so uh
1: James?
0: yeah no, this is hands down this is a classic episode of the series and uh you know with 99 percent of these shows the 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 conflict of the of the story particular story is always them with their uh with their powers so to see uh uh, you know adora struggling rather than shira struggling uh is definitely a great thing to see
1: yeah and this was the only shira episode that didn't feature any characters from Mastery Universe that was in the top five, you know, the one that was on the DVD. Mm-hmm. Um, so it speaks volumes with that as well. Um, for me, it's a great episode, but I can't help but wonder if people have watched this and then, whenever they worked in the 2002 show, thought, you know what, we'll do that Stone the Sword thing, but we'll do it with King Grayskull instead. And we'll just make him go through all these things that he needs to go through. And it's kind of, you know, like, you you have all these powers already. The sword just merely, you know, like, extends all this to make you more powerful, blah, blah, blah. But um I like the, fa- I just like the fact that whenever she gets knocked off, uh, Kyle flies over and goes like, Adora, why aren't you She-Ra? And it's like, oh, kind of, am I not? All oh, right, okay. <laughs> you think she would maybe know. Here, why why is my no I'm not wearing a dress I'm just wearing these like kind of wee pant things and my boots look different and you just think she would know that but um you know it's a really good episode and uh, we'll go on to my pick and because James chose two like really really sucky episodes <laughs> James um, you have the time it takes for me t- and the others to talk about it, Price of Freedom to pick a different episode a good one for us all to talk about ok
0: Right off the top of my head?
1: <laughs> yeah, that's why I'm giving you like we're going this to talk is, about the price of freedom. This is your trial, my friend.
0: Oh <laughs> <Yeah>. man,
4: <laughs>
5: yeah. you must that's overcome. That's right. Uh, oh. Stab him
1: step a little to the left a little to the left so anyway <laughs> the price of freedom the sorceress summons Prince Adam to Castle Greyskull and warns him that his sister is in danger Adam promptly leaps through the dimensional gateway to Etheria and finds himself in a war zone as the Horde army led by Hordak viciously attacks the village of Dryl. Shira and Heman man fly Fight, sorry, I thought I said flight, uh, to protect the village from the might of the Horde army, but this appears to be one battle that they cannot win. Forced to take the cover in the nearby mine, Shira and the villages of Drill teach He Man the true price of freedom. There's so much about this episode that I love. It's just a complete, complete flip from Eternia, where it's a kind of case of, you know, the royal family in charge, everything's okay. We have a couple of bad eggs so to speak that are constantly wanting to overtake in the castle or they want to overtake in a, the um, palace or whatever um, whenever He-Man comes to Etheria um, we find a big um, almost like a big battle going on Adam then changes into He-Man um, to obviously give himself more power and to make it um, a lot easier for him and his sister um, There, thereafter we um, then the miners are in trouble so they go up there this is the only time i can recall that Heman kind of gets a bit tetchy whenever um he is holding the rock inside the mine and he tells everyone to get out he goes like get out it goes like no and it's kind of a case of you know like will you just do what I'm telling you to do I've kind of been stung by a freeze ray I'm now holding this and it's kind of a bit much will you get out um I like the fu- uh, whenever he says as well about going down to put out the fire and to help all the villagers and the villagers say look we just want our freedom our possessions don't mean anything whereas it's kind of the opposite in the uh, attorney um like in the 2002 show, whenever Paul um, uh, Paul McFurry Pants and his um, little band of cats, um, their houses get destroyed. Instead of going after Skeletor, then they rebuild the um, village to help all the villagers. So it's just a really good episode. But it's just nice for fans of the Master Universe show to see what it's like different and to see it kind of. You're kind of seeing. The world of Ethereum through He Man's eyes, and how it all differs, and everything. Um, Ryan, what are your thoughts on the price of freedom? Uh, perhaps the best episode of Shira. Um, <laughs> for everything you
4: just rattled off, um, I kind of like that. You know, uh, Shira kind of has to slap He Man in the face a little bit and be like, you know, this isn't this isn't Eternia. That's not how things how things are here. Um, I particularly like the, uh, the the head villager. I can't remember if... I know he had a name, but I can't remember what it is. Um, when they talked about they wanted their freedom, and then they all were whining and crying because Shira went to go get help, and she wasn't there to save them. And he kind of had to call them out and be like, if you want freedom, this is what freedom is. We can't rely on, on them to constantly be coming to help us out. So there's just... Uh, I could talk forever. There's just a whole lot to like about this. Not to mention that Hordak leaves Victorious, which is pretty awesome and doesn't happen all that often. So, there's there's an awful lot to like in this episode. Uh, Mike, what about you? Uh,
5: I mean, normally, we see Etheria uh, is basically, you know, it's it's bright and colorful even though we know that the Horde is actually in power. In this episode, it, it, we get a real good depiction of a true enemy state. You know, for once you really feel that Hordak is, is not a guy that you mess with, that there's actually real oppression on Etheria wow. And the horde rule Aetheria with an iron fist. You know, a lot of times we just see Whispering Woods where Shira and the rebels are, and it's all nice and 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 and, and bright and cheerful. Um, but you you get a real sense that Aetheria, you know, it's a dark and dismal place under the horde occupation, and you know, it, it's it's not all good times.
1: Yeah, definitely. TMs.
0: Uh, yeah, I mean, this is I guess this is uh, Shira's. Uh, equivalence to the problem with power, with uh, Masters of the Universe. I mean, in, in my opinion, and I guess what a lot of a lot of people feel that this is kind of the, the one episode that stands out so much above the others. You know, for for the region, for the reasons mentioned, that uh, there is no happy ending to this. It's the the bad guys are clearly in control. Um, it, it's it definitely stands out from the other episodes, and I think that's what makes it so good, makes it such a good episode.
1: So, James, have you come up with your episode that you want to talk about that isn't one of the worst? Ah,
0: I, I'm searching for other episodes with axes and wimpy dragons, and <laughs> nothing else is coming up. <sighs>
1: um, what, what about like um, you have play it again, bow, bows farewell. You have uh, three Courageous hearts. A loss for words would would be a good one. Um. He and Heavy, The Crystal Castle, The Crown of Knowledge, Enemy With My Face, Book Burning, uh, The Seahawk, The Return of Seahawk, uh, The Red Knight, uh, Friendship, uh, just name a few.
0: I would have to refresh my memory on some of those episodes before giving a qualified discussion on <laughs> them.
1: <that> <laughs> now you can see why I haven't had James on for a while. <laughs> I forgot how hard it is. Okay. <laughs> So are you foregoing your pick then, James? Do I have to rely on one of the other um, A-team members then?
0: I came prepared with the Missing Axe and a Laughing Dragon, and I stand by my decision on those two episodes. I am going to Pop Culture Network as soon as we're done recording this, and I'm starting threads on those episodes. And you will see, <laughs> all you will see the, ma- the the hordes of people, if you will, come out and start contributing. As to how those episodes change their lives, and and it's it's just that's all I like to say. About
4: it. I'll tell you, I'll be all over that Laughing Dragon thread. I actually like that episode.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'll be
0: all over it, but not in a good
1: way. <laughs> okay, well, um, Ryan, would you like to talk about a different episode, or would I have to go to Mike?
4: Uh, one I almost picked, um, which I guess kind of goes with the theme of not great, but one I one I enjoy is uh, the duel at Devlin. Which um, I nearly picked be- As a as a comic book guy And specifically a Marvel guy um, What's his name? Darn it! The bad guy uh mug uh, Is very uh, Jack Kirby-esque Kind of villain And uh, I'm very sorry To reference uh, Not necessarily a film But a, a te- another television series I get a very general Grievous vibe from him From uh, the Clone Wars Animated series Because he's kind of Not a Horde Trooper But he doesn't fit in With the rest of the Horde either And he's kind of that that guy that gets kind of caught in between, so I get a lot, I get a real general grievous vibe from him, and uh, a Jack Kirby, all in a Jack Kirby package, and uh,
1: I definitely like the Duel of Devlin, despite the fact that it's not that great. <laughs> okay, and would you like to see a Mug figure then? I don't know if I'd like. Well, yeah, yeah, would. <laughs> yeah, certainly above, uh, you know, like Pitiful the Dragon. Um, well, he'd be like $80. sorrowful.
0: His name is Sorrowful.
1: No, it's really not, it's really not. He doesn't laugh, he's not sorrowful, he's pitiful. <laughs> <laughs> dial would be much cheaper than... than uh, so <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, true. Uh, Mike, do you have any other ones that you almost picked?
5: Yeah, I almost picked um, Enemy With My Face. Um, it, it's a real strong Shadow Weaver episode, and obviously since I'm getting four Shadow Weavers, I love Shadow Weaver. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: But, yes, um, that's right, James. Uh, Mike is getting four subscriptions. Wow! Wow! <laughs> yeah.
5: But uh, I, I I like um, I, I like doppelganger episodes. Uh, you, you know, you have uh, Shadow Weaver. She makes um, you know like like a, a clayface monster that uh, that uh, you know basically it, when when it touches uh, Sheer, it absorbs her powers. So it's you know an an equal match, Al- although their their big battle ends up being a, a tug of war. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is like you know it's kind of lame, uh, but you you have the whole you know bizarro slash faker kind of thing where you know the the where the enemy matches the the strength and power of of the hero, but is a bit, it's a bit damaged you know a bit of a, a sympathetic character because what ends up happening is is Shira you know realizes uh, you know. She realizes that not only did her power transfer it over to, I, I think it's uh, the the Me-log, uh Also, her, her feelings transferred over as well, which is what you know is what you know. Shira basically uses that to her advantage to uh, to turn the MeLog against Shadow Weaver. You know, at the end of the episode. So I, I, I like doppelganger episodes. You know, I like uh, I like things like that.
1: Okay. Um, before we round up, um, I just want to ask you all this question, James. How did you watch basically the first five episodes of up? Was it the first five episodes, or did you watch the Secret of the Sword? And what are your overall impressions of the uh, first five sh- episodes, Secret of the Sword, uh, whatever way you want to um, mention it?
0: Uh, as a kid, I-, I saw Secret of the Sword in the movie theater, and it was—I think it was a, a neighbor. Kid down the street. It was his birthday, and all the kids from school were there. It was a big group outing, and uh, parents were there, and, and we all went and saw the the movie in the theater. So that's that's how I originally saw it. Okay. Um, now it's great. It, it's it's definitely it kind of blends together with the... Uh, you know I definitely consider it uh, He Man and She Ra as part of the same universe. They kind of blend in together. I don't like to really distinguish one from the other. Or like I like all the episodes that that bleed over into having Masters of the Universe uh, characters in them. Um, No, it's great.
1: Okay, and if you had to pick a favorite moment from it, what would it be? From the movie? Yeah. Hmm. (sighs) Tick tock, tick tock.
0: (laughs) It's hard to put me on the spot like
1: that. Yeah, that's that's
4: not an (laughs) easy... Answer.
0: Yeah.
1: yeah, you see, you should be thinking about it, Ryan. <laughs> I'm, I am,
4: and I am like, I am still not going to know.
0: <laughs> well, I, I may, when uh, when uh, Adam first meets uh, Bo, and Bo is in disguise, you definitely get that vibe that you know this. In this kind of like uh, the episode we were talking about earlier, that you know the bad guys are in control here. The fact that the good guys have to go around in disguise. Uh I don't know. I that that moment pops into my head.
1: Uh Ryan, how did you um see that and what's your favorite moment as well? Um well
4: I first saw it as the movie. Um I don't remember going to see it in theaters. I don't think I did. But we had I definitely had an old VHS copy that I probably wore out. And now whenever I do want to watch it, I don't put in the volume 1 of Shear. I put in the the best of Shear where it's all altogether as one, I just I don't think of it as five episodes, I think of it as one movie um and my favorite moment, wow, well, um yeah, I have no idea. Uh, um, <laughs> one of the things I always liked as a kid and still just cracks me up is when Adam disguises himself as a horror trooper, but his his hair is still sticking out. I don't know why it, like I get why it made me laugh and I liked it as a kid. I don't know why i still I still like it so much, but um. I guess it would be like when Adam or I guess I should say He-Man convinces Force Captain Adora to go out and 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 see the world through like a fresh pair of eyes see it for herself without the Horde troopers at her back and stuff like that and convinces her that um she's not who she's been made to believe she is. I guess I guess that pep talk there would probably be the the highlight for me. Okay. Uh Mike?
5: Uh I also did not see it in the theater. Um I actually didn't even realized that it was a, a movie to be in the theaters until I I found it on a VHS tape you know way later on and um that's how that's how I first saw it. I was on was on VHS at a rental store um but uh I guess my favorite uh my favorite part of that uh of, of the movie is you know the when uh, when the sorceress shows up in the stone and is explaining to Adora you know a, a, about you know her heritage and you know you know what she what she's meant to be and, you know, the first time that she raises the sword, you know, she kind of, you know, says, you know, by the honor of Grayskull, and it has taken her a couple of times to really understand, you know, how, you know, it takes Adam, you know, basically, you know, almost, you know, I guess she's looking at it as though, you know, he's dying for her to fully understand how she has to do the transformation, and then you see her transform, you know, for the first time, and say, you know, and save her brother you know that that's 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 the part that really uh that you know stands out to me
1: okay um i was like you mike i saw it uh, at a rental store my sister and i would normally hire it out every once in a while and sit down and watch it um like ryan just said i've considered this to be like a film that's how i've seen it i've I don't really watch it as the first five episodes of she Because it's always, you know, like... And last time on she this happened... And I know, I just watched it like two minutes ago... <laughs> I, I know what happened... It's like the WWE... And go like, in case you missed earlier on, this happened... And we'll refresh your memory in about two minutes from now... And you're like, oh, I don't really need to know... But anyway... Um, my favourite moment is whenever... Um, Adam comes back... Um, A door is left, Eternia to go back to Etheria... And Adam comes back and they see um something like fly over and it goes like well i uh, guess we better change and it's the dual transformation so he's here you know by the power of Skull, and then it kind of cuts in here for the honor of Skull and um cringer then talking you know like oh um this looks like double trouble and for me that always stands out um to me um it's just it's just one of those things that um was great to watch and a great introduction into the Shira um, world and seeing like Bo and stuff and um, seeing all these new characters but um, something for the guys and for the girls as well so um, that's basically going to do it for us so um, thanks James for coming back on it's been nice to actually talk to you even though we picked some awfully terrible episodes as we said <laughs>
0: I... I...
1: Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Next time you come on, if I say pick like, you know, like bios to talk about, don't be picking somebody rubbish. You know, like oh, let's talk about you know Battle Armor He-Man or Battle Armor Skeletor or or whatever. Pick decent people.
0: Uh, Alright, Okay. You
1: know, instead of just going, yeah, let's just pick awful things. (laughs) You know, like if this was the 2002 show, you would have picked like really heavy, heavy Snake Man ones. Really, you would have. Um, So thanks for coming on and, you know, doing that for us. I appreciate it.
0: Well, it was a pleasure being here. And uh, again, I'm going to start those threads. I'm telling you, there are fans of these episodes out there. I want to know who you are.
1: Yeah, both of them. Uh, I'm right here. Uh, I told you. (laughs) There are pitiful fans. (laughs) Yeah, you and James. There you go. Both of them. Um, so, Mike, thank you for coming back on as well. Um, obviously, um, it's a pleasure to have you back on and with our um, little segment that we do on Chronicles, if you would just want to basically talk about that as well.
5: Oh, uh, thanks for having me on again. I've enjoyed being on the last couple of episodes. Um, yeah, what we're going to do is on the 1st and the 15th of each month when uh, Toy Guru does the Q&A, we're going to pick a handful of uh, items that are talked about and we'll discuss them. Uh, i'm sure all the uh all the fans are discussing them among themselves they're on the boards um you know they'll get a chance to hear us uh talk about well you know our takes on the on the different topics of conversation okay
1: cool uh so yeah thanks again for coming on mike that reminds me james uh are you still contributing to master universe Chronicles? going to put you on the spot now and you know like see if you are and what's up your sleeve
0: Oh, I, yes, I would very much like to. I, I don't know if I can do it as frequently as I as I did uh, in the past, um, but I, w- I would definitely like to still throw in a contribution here and there. Um,
1: I have a funny feeling that this next one is going to be with Pitiful the Dragon. No,
0: <laughs> no, no. It'll be a good one, I promise.
1: <laughs> and uh, lastly, Ryan. Uh, Ryan, thanks for coming on. It's It's been nice to have you on the last couple of Chronicles, um, so long may that continue. Uh, yeah, well, I just first want to say thanks because it has
4: been uh, a blast to be on the last couple of episodes of Chronicles. So anytime I t- get a chance to talk about He
1: Man, it's uh, always always going to take advantage of that. <laughs> um, so go. just yeah, so just once <laughs> again, thanks to James, thanks to Ryan, thanks to Mike uh, for coming on and talking about She-Ra season one, volume one. I uh, hope you've enjoyed that. Um, if I am uh, um, able to delete posts, so if you do post <laughs> anything oh. to do with Laughing Dragon or oh. anything, they will be automatically deleted. Oh. So on that, I can bring him back. Don't worry about it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, anyway. Well, thanks for listening, and until next time.
0: Let the power return!